0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit rothcheese.com.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network
3: This is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I interview fascinating people on their journeys to success. And today, my guest is Bonnie Morales, the co-owner of the revered restaurant Kachka in Portland. Bonnie, I'm so excited to see you here. I have never been to Kachka, but... Um, at, when I was at Food and Wine, we published your recipes. And when the team came out here to Portland, they came back and they're like, there's this person you have to meet. <laughs> so it took me a while, but um, but here we are. Welcome. Hi, Dana. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I wanted to start out um, with a word. And the, the question is, like, at this moment in time when there's so much controversy about, you know, fact and fiction, the importance of words. And there's one word, which is the name of your... Restaurant that's very important to you and has a lot of meaning. So, could you start by telling us like what is the meaning of kachka?
4: Sure, I would love to. It's it's a it is it is a very important word to me. Um, So, kachka just means duck in um, in Belarusian and Ukrainian. uh, Apparently, in Polish, also in Yiddish. Um,
3: This uh, and I'm assuming it's a duck and animal, not like (laughs) yes, duck duck. (laughs) Uh,
4: quack quack, Um, which is different than in Russian. In Russian, it's utka. Um, and that's the kind of the crux of the story. Um, uh, when I was a little girl, uh, my dad would tell me stories about my my family that um, was uh, lived through the, the World War II and um, what that meant being Jewish in in Belarus and in Russia was um, you know persecution and the Holocaust. So um, my grandmother fled a ghetto in the middle of the night, um, and all her family was um, died the next day um, in a mass grave. So um,
3: she left. Alone. I yeah. Mean, well, with ba-
4: a baby, a three-month-old infant, and it was October, and the coldest winter in, in you know Eastern Europe's history.
3: And why alone? Um,
4: because her her grandparents or her parents um, said we're old, and if we all go, and that, there were a lot of other children in the family. If we all go, we're go- someone's going to notice. But if you go by yourself, no one will notice, and you know, like save save yourself.
3: And how old was she? Um, I think I, I don't want to
4: speak. I, uh, uh, maybe nineteen or twenty. Wow, like young. Um, yeah. So, I picture myself as a as a young adult, and I would could never have had that sort of bravery. But she left in the in the middle of the night. Um, everyone, uh, in fact, was shot the next morning. Um, this How was did she find th- that out? Um, I, I think after the war. I don't uh, know that that's something she found out immediately. Um, obviously but um she traveled through the forests and headed um east towards russia because she was in belarus at the time she ended up in smolensk um and uh fought as a partisan there um but along the way she you know met a lot of people that you know uh wanted bad things to happen to her um and one of them was a town warden she had you know gone into a town for provisions and all that and he this guy was like you're no you're a jew and her story at the time was that um uh, she was a Ukrainian peasant peasant traveling to Russia to uh, find her in-laws um, and uh, he you know he kept like bugging her about that and uh, eventually he said well if you're if you're really Ukrainian then how do you say duck in Ukrainian you know they're all speaking in Russian this is Soviet Union across all of these um, areas even though each country has their own native language everybody speaks Russian Um so she just, you know, hoped that and she spoke Yiddish at home and she knew the Yiddish word. And, and there are some times when they're the same. And she just hoped that maybe this one was. And she said, kachka, and he let her go. And um, as a little girl, I mean, there were, she had, it's amazing how many stories like that she had. And then if you extrapolate that out to all of the people who uh, went through something like this during World War II... Um, it's it's just so many little chance moments, and but this one particular story, maybe because it involved a duck, I don't know. When I was little, that <laughs> one, that one really stuck with me. Um, and so that word's just it's just it's just important to me.
3: And I on the menu, um, I learned so many words. Right, <laughs> I, I didn't need to read it with a dictionary because it's pretty clear um, what different things are. But I was um, I just love the fact that you didn't. Put everything in English, you yeah. know. And so, tell me about some of the—they're they're very romantic-sounding words, like the shashlika and the. That, did I pronounce that right? Shashlyki, yeah, like the plural the, the of shashlik, yeah. The skewers, and uh-huh. what was the choice that you made to have Russian? And is Cyrillic the?
4: Yeah, things are in Cyrillic uh, for the menu for, the, for menu. the title, uh, the section heads. Um, I want it. W- it was a conscious decision. It wasn't just something stylistic or design-based. Um, the food that we make and Russian I use as sort of a catch all because my family immigrated during the Soviet Union when it was still the Soviet Union and so they immigrated from a place that's now called Belarus but when they left that didn't exist but they also weren't Russian but they also weren't Soviet cause they were defectors. They actually, they saw themselves as Jewish, but that's not a nationality by our standards. And so it's even me like telling people what I, what I am is kind of a loaded, I don't know how to answer that. So I use Russian and a lot of people in my situation use the word Russian, but then there's a huge asterisk to that because that means Russia and all these other former Soviet republics. in a lot of times, um, anyway, um, that part of the world does just does not get represented um, in the culinary world at all. Um, And when it does, it's sort of a negative representation. There's often sort of a a feeling of it being gray and drab and unhealthy. um, And that's so frustrating to me. Um, So I make a point to say, no, I'm going to use the word that that is Russian, why would I use the French word? Why would I use the Italian word, right? I'm going to use the Russian word. So, you know, people say creme fraiche. Well, it's not creme fraiche. It's smithanla, And it actually is different. It's different because of slightly different cultures. And people will say, oh, but that's just creme fraiche. No, it's it's not. It's it's smetana, And I want you to know that word. And maybe one day people will see it as smithanla first and creme fraiche second, or maybe on equal playing fields.
3: Another uh, thing that comes into play there is, is um, service ruse, right? So we we assume that the service style in a restaurant that we have today is French or just came out of the thin air, but in fact, it is um, Russian service. Do you want to talk about like what that those words mean, which are said in French, actually? Right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean,
4: um, th- yeah, that's the thing is that um, fr- uh, France and Russia, during you know the 1800s and, and early 1900s, pre-revolution, um, had sort of a love affair with each other, and so many things um, that are sort of Uh, taken for granted in French um, uh, dining actually come from Russia. And the same is true in Russia. There's a lot of stuff that's part of their... Um, dining and, and culinary lexicon that's actually French, um, and so Russian style service is one of those things. And um, you know uh, the that's sort of the the formal in a banquet setting where you're individually served. Um, that's considered to be Russian style service, and that's we've taken that for granted to be this like French banquet style, and it's actually, actually Russian. Um, and there's so many things like that. Um, what are some others? Um, well. I think that um, blini or blini, um, as people will say, um, are considered to be this like French uh, um, uh, caviar accompaniment, um, and for some reason they're always considered to ha- need to have potato in them. And I, I see that a lot in recipes um, that like blini equal potato pancakes, and I don't <laughs> even know where that comes from. And it must be a French thing, but they—I mean—they're—they're they're very Russian and they're yeasted and they're delicious and they don't have potato. Um, and so that's that's one that's that's really funny to me. Um, uh, I don't know. I, this is, I think, just on parallel. But the use of aspic, um, in French, um, like sort of high French cuisine, um, is mirrored in Russian cooking. But it's a lot more. And I'm sure in in sort of country style French, it's also very rustic. But um you don't clarify really you make something called for example or student which is um where it's you're you're cooking uh some animal parts that have a higher gelatin uh amount anyway and so when it's cold it gets thick um and so it's but it's like it, it's a very russian uh thing to make um, and that that's with calves feet. um and, but you know in sort of that's often considered people will say oh but, oh that's aspic um, you know something said in aspic. I'm like no no, it's calleddit and it's its own thing and it has the right to be there on its own as it as a Russian thing too um, yeah there's there's so there's so many things like
3: that that I see so um, you've reclaimed the cuisine in a way did you? You didn't grow up with an enormous appreciation of it, <laughs> as I understand. But were you speaking Russian at home and you were eating, and was someone speaking Russian at home?
4: Yeah, uh, yeah. My, uh, I learned Russian first. So my parents immigrated the year before I was born, um, and my mom... Um, Uh, stayed home with me and she spoke we she ended up having like a Russian daycare actually Um, so all the kids were other immigrants um, kids Um, and I was sort of you know patient zero in that she started staying at home because she's like well I now I have a baby and I might as well make money while I'm doing it (laughs) so um, uh, she had a Russian daycare so in addition to learning Russian first just because they didn't speak English they didn't know it yet um, I had all these other little friends around that were also speaking Russian. I learned English from Sesame Street and going to <laughs> kindergarten. Um, so, so yeah, so I learned that first. Um, I, But as a result, and I, I, this is not a unique story, but, you know, when you are the, the child of immigrants in the United States, there's a huge pressure and desire, sometimes from within and sometimes from the people around you, to do what they do. Um, I wanted nothing more than to have um, hamburger helper. <laughs> I remember like wanting to stay for dinner at my friends' um, houses because they would like have these like boxed dishes that I thought were so like magical. And I because we never had them in our house probably because they were expensive, but also because my mom cooked and she made she made stuff from scratch. And I, I, I'm I'm guessing it's because it was less expensive to do so. But either way. Um, it was so foreign to me that that's like all I wanted. And I thought it was so exotic to have these like cool boxed
3: things. (laughs) Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear more from Bonnie Morales of Kachka.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Roth cheese, a pioneer in the U S specialty cheese movement. Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of Southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk, combined with expertise in affinage, is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Szechua was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit RothCheese.com.
3: Welcome back to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network where Bonnie Morales is telling us about the importance of Russian food. And so now you've got these beautiful dishes on, on your menu um, that you know harken back to what you ate in childhood but also true Russian food that now we can all share and appreciate. But one of the things that I um, was really excited about was the vodka so last <laughs> night i got to have your food for the first time at um from russia with love and you make a, a vodka with horseradish yeah that was just <laughs> off the charts it was so great I mean, i can't say i was in um i was in the old soviet union once with my grandparents in 1976 wow and a time to be there it was amazing i mean my you know uh, I was there with my older brother and my grandparents and my brother snuck off with the tour guide and went like drinking every night because he was five <laughs> years older and I was like, where'd he go? <laughs> there was so much vodka and so much drinking. It wasn't quite like that last night, but um, but it was great and you've started a spirits company, yeah, uh, Troika Spirits, which I'm intrigued by. Tell me about like the role of spirits in this and you know, spirits can take a dark turn as well and in Russia, historically there's been, you know, a lot of talk about how spirits can take a dark turn. Absolutely.
4: Yeah, I, um, I, for me, it's more about, and I spoke about this a little bit last night, too. For me, it's more about the culture of eating and, and um, drinking together and kind of that environment, not so much about getting drunk. Um, and obviously, when alcohol is involved, it can go that way. I mean, some people um, take it that direction. However, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and I think um, the idea of Uh, eating and drinking and toasting and 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 eating and doing that all together um, is really so critical and makes it an experience rather than an excuse to get drunk let's Um, talk about
3: toasting yeah because it's a whole world unto itself is there a russian style of toasting uh Or how do you make a great toast? Mm -hmm. You should bring my dad on for that question. (laughs) Um,
4: It can be really elaborate. It can be really short and sweet. Um, Some people, so for some people, it is just an excuse to drink. And so they'll be like, yeah, let's just drink to us and down the hatch. But um, especially if there's an event, like somebody's birthday or whatever, you make a point to have, like, not just here's a toast to the birthday boy, but. Um, taking the time to like maybe write a poem sometimes I've seen at big um, Russian parties or um, or yeah a song even sometimes it doesn't have to be just like a toast Um, but the idea that you've spent time to to really sort of search your soul for something really um, meaningful is is I think done more often than um, you normally see when people are just drinking and giving a quick Um, But in general, there's also a sense... There is some, like... Uh, decorum to it where there's always a toast to the ladies you know it <laughs> tends to be the men who um, take on major drinking but um, or um, my dad always says that the toast to the ladies happens once you know you're probably going to get in trouble later <laughs> for, <laughs> um, so um, or you know a toast to um, I said it last night actually this is a really common as a toast to everything that joins us mm. um, and I think that, that again it has this like poetry to it and it's even it's short and sweet but it um, it's a nice reminder to like actually think about that thing Um, that seems rote but it's not I mean it actually has weight to it Um, yeah there's a whole litany of them of some that are sort of um, standard issue but even those I feel like have this like cleverness to them but yeah they can be long and winding too and it's just the point is to make sure to say something that you really feel in the moment and as people drink they tend to get a little gushier and it's a good it's a good thing it's like a it's almost like a group therapy
3: session (laughs) so um, you were saying you know the things that Join us. Mm-hmm. That, and, um, you know, one of the things at this very moment in time is there's so much that divides us. Mm. And um, whatever part of Russia, Soviet Union, you want to consider, Russia is one of those things that divides people on how they feel about the country, how they feel about um, their relationship to America. And just how do you feel about that vis a vis the restaurant? It, I think we, so many of us feel that. Um, the restaurant and cooking has become a far more political act. And I'm just wondering how you feel about that in light of the intersection between what you're doing and today's politics.
4: Yeah, that's a good, that's a great question. Um, I like to remind people that the food that, that our people cook at home, even whoever's sort of in charge politically, um, is just the food that they're cooking at home. And there's, you know, that, the things that are happening at the Kremlin or the White House don't reflect always the people underneath them, um, and so I, for me, this is this is very personal. This is about my family. This is about their their struggle and the struggles of so many other people like them. And so I, I that's my take on it is that you can cook for political reasons, but so often. Um, it's brought into the picture when it shouldn't be, because at the end of the day, everybody eats, and the the thing, you know, that's the thing that I want people to focus on is the people um, that uh, this cuisine represents that are that are eating this every day, regardless of what's going on above them.
3: And uh, on your menu, um, what are your what are your favorite dishes? I know there's some very famous dishes, <laughs> um, but for you. What's, what is the dish that feels closest to home mm. and comfort and, um, you know, true meaning for you? I and mean, they all have meaning for you. But. Yeah,
4: um, I mean, and that's, that is... A, they do all... Like, I, I think that uh, having reverence and, and thought behind stuff is really important. Um, but uh, the one that's always on the menu and always will be on the menu that has probably the the, the most significance would be um, galoptsi, which are cabbage rolls. And that's because... So although we do... Futs with some things a little bit more than others. Galipsa are something that we've made the same since day one and it is as close to what my mom makes at home as it can be. Um, I mean, I, I make a few adjustments, but um, <laughs> one of them is there's pork and lamb in them um, and she tends to make hers with chicken because that's, you know, quote unquote healthier. Um but, uh, and she doesn't do pork really, um, but I do because I'm a terrible Jew. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so so that, that little minor difference. But besides that, they're literally how she would make them. And it's something that I, you know, um, as a home cook my mom has the same like seven dishes or so that she puts on like repeat for the most part um, and so like she's still feeding my kids when she watches them those same galopsy that I you know had to eat when I was a kid and like so those are still on the menu if I go if I you know like come to her house there's you know usually leftover cabbage rolls in the fridge
3: and is she in I mean you grew up in
4: Chicago yeah they is moved she's... out to Portland though um, oh. They yeah my my brother moved to Portland and then we followed them out him out here because we love it so much and then they were, my parents love it here too, but they really came for the grandkids. All of their grandchildren are here now, so they followed them
3: out. And is there a community for, like, a Russian community here in Portland?
4: There is. Uh, there's actually a massive um, Russian community uh, in East Portland. It's considered, I don't want, I'm not a statistician, but, uh, you know, like one of the largest per capita in the U.S. Um, they're not as involved in that community. That tends to be a little bit of a different uh, cultural subsection. Um, but there is like a, they're, they more affiliate with being Russian Jewish. Uh-huh. Um, and there is like a pretty large Russian Jewish population as well. And so they've got their little core group of friends.
3: So when you look to the, to the future, right, you've, you've grown so much. I mean, just as we're speaking now, you've just moved, um, Kachka out of its space. Mm-hmm. Well, not, I mean, recently, mm-hmm. and then, um, you've opened a more casual, not that place in its space it's more it's more casual okay yeah fair to say I'm making faces here they are like is it really more casual because yeah. yeah. um and then you have the spirits and then there's a deli like what is in your mind like the biggest vision that you have of and the biggest like dreamiest vision like oh
4: I don't know that I think that far ahead <laughs> <laughs> um I for me my biggest dreamiest vision actually has nothing to do with me at all it has more to do with the general state of Russian or Eastern European cooking in the culinary world. And that's most of the decisions that I make have to do with, does this help further that mission? Do I help? Am I, am I helping and communicate how this food should be viewed um i want my goal and, and if i I'll, I'll feel like i've really succeeded if one day when people are like huh what are we honey what do you want to eat tonight for dinner and they're going through the sort of the laundry list of things you crave or think about you know like let's get thai no let's go get sushi that russians in that mix and like that's really lofty but that hasn't not very much to do with my personal like you know whether or not i have another restaurant or not um, and so I often the decisions I make and like, for example, writing a cookbook and things like that often have to do with that end goal. Like, is this going to get people to consider this food um, in the same light as pizza and sushi? And that's that's what I want.
3: And why is that so important?
4: Um, I, I I don't know. Maybe this is just one lifelong therapy session, but it's probably has something to do with the fact that when I was a kid, I was so embarrassed of it. Um, and, you know being one of the things that i've um, you know as every year that goes by you're more of an adult and you know you get to this point of like i don't care anymore i don't care what people think about me and that's like i as the most freeing thing you're nodding your head because that's it's so true <laughs> it's so true and it's so, like you know you get to everyone's this, goal right right and so i really don't care what people think about this food um, or, or or i'm not embarrassed i should say i don't i don't i don't care about that i'll eat it i love it i'll tell you how much i love it i love kuladits meat jello essentially you know like that's something that I would never have said before um and so that's that I just I I feel like I'm on this mission because I am like making up for all that time as a kid where I was like hiding it and being embarrassed of it
3: one last question uh is there a woman who is working in the world of food or spirits or hospitality who you admire where you'd want to pay it forward? Like, they're amazing. We should all know about her.
4: Mm. I don't have to go very far. I think what <laughs> Katie Millard is doing at Coquine um, is really respectable. Um, th- I Because I have kids, but my parents are here, I have, like, a very I, – I totally under- – so she has, she has a little boy, um, and she has one of the th- – the best restaurants in the country definitely the best restaurant in Portland um, and I love what she does so much that every time I eat something at her restaurant I there's it's like not only is it good but I'm like this is exactly what I wish that I would have thought to do here you know there's very little chance that it's that it's not just exactly what I want and so maybe she maybe we're just on the same wavelength because obviously food's very personal but I just I appreciate what she does so much and I know how hard she works and I know how hard it is to do a small yeah it's her husband runs the dining room so it's also we have the same sort of setup um, but they don't have the support that we do with um, with that they have with their kids so it's just I understand I know what she's going through and I I feel like I just I'm so amazed and impressed that she could
3: execute on that level um, with with having that much stress I just I think it's amazing And with that, um, I just want to thank you so much, Bonnie, for joining uh, me today. And I want to thank Travel Portland, Stream PDX, and the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage of Feast possible. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Speaking Broadly. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Stitcher or iTunes. I want to thank Bonnie Morales for sharing her heart and her stories about food and Russia. And I, I hope that all of you who are listening are going to go out and search out some some dumplings, some flavored vodkas, and make a toast to a good friend. You guys know where to find me. If you want to send suggestions, ideas, compliments, comments, or criticisms, you can send it to Fw Scout on Instagram and Twitter. And... I want to thank my engineer of the day, Vitor. Look forward to having you all back next week. Have a great week.
2: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter